0: Mysteries revealed to the Apostle Paul, this is, these are no longer mysteries for us today in the church. We are at the end of the 2,000 years of the church age and uh, all these have been clearly revealed to us and this series is to remind us, alright, but first two qualifications. Number one, we need to know that the entire Bible, all scripture is profitable for us. We can use it and as we read the Word of God, when the Word of God speaks to you, we can apply it spiritually to ourselves. But at the same time, we need to know that not every scripture is written for the church. We know that God deals with Gentiles, Israel, and the church. All right, that's why we need to correctly divide the word. So these are mysteries which was previously unknown, but today Colossians 1:26 tells us it is revealed to the saints, to the church. Very clear. So we are to be faithful stewards of these mysteries, to know, to understand, to apply for ourselves, and then to share it with others. We covered the first mystery, the mystery of God suspending His dealings with Israel. In fact, in my Bible reading, I've just finished the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and it's terrible. All right? Look at the things that Israel did in rejecting God. In going for after every idol under every tree, the adulteries and the fornication and the, the, uh, the witchcraft and all that they do in rejecting the servants of God. And because of that, the last straw was in Acts chapter 7 when they stoned Stephen, when they resist the Holy Spirit. Then God called for himself a new category of people called the church. This new category of people is called the one new man in Christ. So that whether you are a Jew, or you are gentle when you have Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, when you trust in the atoning blood sacrifice of Jesus that is perfect, to f- perfectly forgive, cleanse and cover us, we become a member of the body of Christ, we become a part of the church. Last week, we covered three other mysteries. The mystery of godliness. Christ came in bodily form. He shed His blood for us. The mystery of God in us, Christ, the head of the church, and then the church, mystery number four, as the body of Christ connected to the head, and the church as the bride of Christ in terms of relationship. Christ is He, the head of the church. The body of Christ is He that is connected to the head. But in terms of relationship, there is this intimacy which Paul calls a mystery as between a husband and a wife. And finally, the mystery number five, how come the Godhead can dwell in the believer? So why bother? As believers, we need to know that God dwells in you. This was a mystery to the angels, a mystery to the demons. They could not fathom this. How come Christ can dwell in us? And we know the answer because we have been perfectly cleansed, forgiven and covered by the precious blood of Jesus, which is perfect. In the Old Testament, it was impossible No way can the Holy Spirit dwell the Old Testament sins because they were only temporarily covered by the blood of goats and animals. And as we are part of the body of Christ, we are connected to the head. We must experience His fullness to always walk in hope and victory. Like the video you saw last week of this lady who calls herself Nightbird. The doctors gave her 2% of survival She had three forms of cancer in different parts of her body. But she was trusting in God. And the latest we hear, she is recovering. We are God's inheritance, not the other way. We know that God is our inheritance. We receive every blessing from God. Provision, protection, peace, wisdom, favour. God is our inheritance. We inherit God. But here in Ephesians 1, we are told that we, you and I, the church, we are God's inheritance. God inherit us. He inherits us when we receive Him. He inherits us when Jesus becomes our Savior and Lord. He inherits us when we make Him to be our Lord and God. And He wants to manifest His glory in us. Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. What is glory? Glory is the ultimate essence of God. When Moses asked to see the glory of God, God says, I will cause my goodness to pass by Him. So God's glory is His entire essence, but it comes to us in bite size. It comes to us as His goodness in protecting us, as His goodness to give us wisdom, as His goodness to give us healing. Therefore, we must deal with sin and baggage, Hebrews 12.1, that hinders God's goodness from coming into our lives. God wants to bless us, but some of us, we cannot fully experience His goodness and His grace because of the blockages in our lives. And as believers, we must always have hope. Keep our devotion with God simple. I spent the last two days uh, teaching at a Bible school, and and there are many questions asked, especially among some of the younger adults, about this Reformed theology, about God's predestination, the sovereignty of all that. And it becomes so complex. I have to remind them, it's very simple. What they tried to debate and argue for hundreds of years, the Armenians, the Calvinists, It's very simple. God is all-knowing. We are limited. But God has given us a free will. You choose today to wear black pants rather than khaki pants. It's your choice. But does God know? Yes, He knows what you're going to wear. God's foreknowledge does not preclude you from making your choices. God knows, but it does not preclude you. It does not... Uh, exam you, it does not block you from you making your choices. You still make your choice. Last Sunday, you opted to come for the five o'clock service for those of you who are here on site. For those of you watching online, you choose to remain at home to watch this online, whether it's today, Saturday, or tomorrow, Sunday morning. It's your choice. Keep our devotion with God simple. Don't allow anybody to complicate your relationship with God. And then we know that the rapture will happen, all right, and then the seven years of tribulation and the second coming. Today we want to talk about the last two mysteries in this part three. The mystery of lawlessness first, also known as the uh, the mystery of iniquity. Why bother about the mystery of lawlessness? The Bible says again and again, we have been warned. Lawlessness began when men rebelled against God from Genesis 3. And it continues all the way to today. And it will climax in the men of lawlessness, the Antichrist. Lawlessness will continue to increase in increasing measure. Lies and deception in particular will impact believers. Lies and deception will impact local churches. Therefore, we need to guard our belief system. There is a lot of what I call knowledge, so-called knowledge, and many of them are not true. One of the prayers, if we need to know that the Word of God is the Word of truth, John 17, 17. And the Word of truth can only be revealed by the Spirit of truth, another name of the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13. He's the Spirit of truth. And therefore, it's very important to ask God to expose lies, deception, errors, and falsehood. The world will hate us. The Bible already warned us. We have been warned again. We, therefore, we need to be vigilant. Don't lose heart. Encourage each other daily. Stay rooted to the Word. Come to a church like BBTC itself where we preach the whole counsel of God and connect to the Holy Spirit. Be plugged in the body of life because the climax of lawlessness and iniquity will result in the rapture. And we know that. And following the rapture, there's a gap of time and then after that, when the treaty is confirmed, the tribulation and so forth. So what is this mystery of lawlessness? This is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. The mystery of lawlessness or iniquity is already at work. All right? We know that ever since the fall of man, from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6, man has rebelled against God. Here in Genesis 6, 5, it says that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intent of his thoughts of his heart was evil. And then this was repeated by Paul in Romans 1. He says that we are living in times of a lot of ungodliness and unrighteousness. People who suppress the truth. They knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. And a consequence of being disconnected from God is that our thinking will become futile. If we think that we know better, if man thinks he wants to exalt himself, our thinking will become futile. And their foolish hearts will be darkened when we exchange the truth of God for the lie. They did not retain God in their knowledge, then what will happen, our thinking will become debased, Romans 1 verse 20. And we will be filled with all kinds of sins, described in verse 29, verse 30, that verse 31, and verse 32. Every evil, every wickedness, every violence is a consequence of rejecting God. This is lawlessness. We're told in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, that in the latter times, these are the times that we're living in, the year 2021. We have a few years left. We're not talking about another century. We're talking about another few years to another 10, 12, 15 years when the rapture is going to happen. In the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Remember, the devil cannot harm you physically when you're walking with God. The devil cannot touch you physically, cause you to fall into an accident, a flower pot to crash upon your head when you walk past a HDB block, when you are covered by the blood. So what does he do? What is his main form of attack at believers and the church? Lies and deception. He causes doubts. He causes the believer to doubt the Word of God, to doubt the love of God, to doubt the truths of God, to doubt the promises of God. Then the devil will distort truth. He will mix a little lie with uh, the truth. It's just like a bottle of water. All you need to do is put a drop of poison and the entire bottle of water is toxic. It is poisonous. He will distract us from, from God making us preoccupied with the last of the eyes, the last of the flesh, social media. Constantly, you've got to check your phone, your Instagram, your blogs, your WhatsApp chat. We are distracted all the time because you want to place all these things in front of our radar screen, in front of our eyes, our ears, our hearts. And therefore, consequently, what does He do? He divides our living. When we are constantly distracted, our living, our focus moves away from God and finally leading to death instead of living the more abundant life, instead of living life and life to the full which Jesus promised us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 continues, in the last days perilous times will come. We are in these last days. People will be lovers of money, lovers of self, proud, unforgiving, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, so on and so forth. I want to highlight verse 5. They have a form of godliness, but there is no power. And from such people, turn away. I want to say that it is even within the church. From such people, turn away. Do not be unequally yoked. We know it's obvious we do not be unequally yoked. That means very intimate, close relationship All right, with somebody, like a husband and a wife, like two very close uh, buddies. From so-called Christians, they have a form of godliness. That means this is institutional Christianity. This is being politically correct. This is pseudo-spirituality. But they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Why? Because they are disconnected from the head. They are disconnected from the body of Christ, the local church. They are not fully plugged in the church. Where there's only less than 50% of their lives that is spiritual. Probably 5, 10, 15% of their life is spiritual. The other 70, 80, 90% of their lives are carnal, worldly, in the flesh. From such people, the Bible says, turn away, unless they are close to you and you're ministering to them. John 8, 44, reminder, the devil is a liar and deceiver. He's the great dragon, the serpent of old. He's been around for a long, long while. He doesn't know everything, but he is experienced to lie and to deceive. In Job chapter 41, there's a description of of this so-called animal. It's called Leviton. And this Leviton is actually not the Hippopotamus. The description sounds like a Hippopotamus. Right, the skin is very thick. You take a harpoon, a spear, you cannot pierce through it. All right. And as you compare this scripture with that in Isaiah, Leviton is a type of Satan. He's king over what? Here it is described, he's king over all the children of pride. Does that ring a bell? Pride, Pride Day, Pride Month. I'm referring to the LGBTIQ dot 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 activists. I'm not talking about the individual person who struggles with same-sex attraction. In this uh, teaching that I, I have been doing the last two days, I'm surprised for the first time. All right, I've been doing teaching there since 2006. As I was, as I was being reminded, a long time. There are two, three several of them struggling with same-sex attraction and putting all kinds of scenarios before me. All right? So I was just sharing one or two who came to me personally. As individuals, if they struggle and they need help, help will be given. The grace of God is there. I'm not referring to this category of people. I'm referring to the activists because the Bible says, as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Lot. What is, what's the, the devil's strategy? What is the activist strategy They want to dismantle what God has created and instituted. Firstly, God has created men to be male and female. As a male, you are complete in yourself. As a female, you are complete in yourself. And then when the male and female come, God creates the institution of marriage between a male and a female. So what do all these activists want to do? They want to and divide and distort and distract the combination and the permutation and create various, uh, various types and expressions of male and femaleness. And therefore, you have all these LGBTIQ activists. They want to uh, lure you into the lifestyle. There is no sin that men, men commits when you want to boast about it and you want to invite others to join you. For example, if you are a thief, a thief who steals, a thief will steal stealthily, and then you don't want to be caught as a thief, because if you're caught by the police, you end up in court, you go to jail. Or an adulterer, or a fornicator, you want to do it in secret, and hide, and, and as if you're exposed, you are ashamed. Oh, the classic case is now, with this COVID-19, all these KTV lounges, the government has to appeal, come for testing, come for testing. You probably heard the joke, in Singapore, if you get COVID-19, 99%, percent you get cured. But if you are caught by your wife, you will only survive 1%. (laughs) Alright? So the joke goes, so what are we battling here as a church? In Singapore, there are three main issues, which is why we need to, uh, the church is around to retain and to fight for the retention of the Section 377A because it is a boundary marker. Secondly, there's all these attacks and recently, if you've been paying attention, some of you, there is an NGO and there's a professional organisation. And what the activists are doing, they're trying to mobilise uh, the professional organisations and some NGOs to ask for the repeal of 377A, all right, and to attack this whole thing they call conversion therapy. They are accusing the church all right, of converting people against their will. No, we never do that. In the church, when people are struggling, they come to us, we do the process of counselling, praying for them, and to help them. And lastly, watch what is happening in the educational system. They've tried it many times in the last 20, 30 years and they're going to try again to sneak in curriculum to make it sound normal. That to be a gay is normal, to be a lesbian is normal. And you see this from Hollywood. You see in the movies, you look at your Netflix and you have two men, they say they are married or two women, they say they are married and so forth. They want to normalise. They want to invite and educate the whole world. Recently, I came across this, the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir. They're very talented people, very gifted people. They said, now we are coming for your children. I've been just following some blogs and some, some rhetoric. All right? There's a mixture of reaction. And because of uh, this choir, all right, right now I try to go to YouTube to get this original choir of the song that they sang. All right, It is taken off by YouTube because there's so much complaint. They say they're coming for your children. Let's watch this video.
1: coming for your children. We will convert your children. We'll convert your children. Yes, we will. Reaching one and all. There's really no escaping it. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. We're coming for them. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. Then soon, we're almost certain your kids will start converting you. The Gay Agenda is Coming Home. This sounds like some sort of creepy cult or horror movie script or something. Yeah, it does. These are actually lyrics to a song that was just put out by the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir about how they're coming for your children. You think I'm joking. I can see through your screen that you think I'm joking. I'm not joking. This is real. You're about to watch the video right now. See if you can get through it. As we celebrate pride on the progress we've made over these past years, there's still work to be done. So to those of you out there who are still working against equal rights, we have a message for you. You think we're sinful? You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect. But you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Children, you well, you well, you do you remember back in the day when people used to say, why do conservatives, why do Christians care so much about what grown adults do in their bedrooms? Love is love. Stay out of my bedroom. Remember those days? Now it's, we're coming for your children.
0: We know that a gay couple can never reproduce another human being. So, what do, what do you want to do? They want to start indoctrinating, making it as normal as possible, and they're going all the way down with children in the schools, in the movies, in the workplace, and you find that even in the politics in the US, where this has to be accepted. This is now very obvious in our face, the face of the church, all right? So this is the, the, one of the latest things. Of course, they have received a lot of threats, which is why the YouTube is been taken down uh, and so on and so forth. So lawlessness is since man's fall. Romans 3, 23, all have fallen. And it will climax in the deeds of the men of lawlessness, the Antichrist. We know this from 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, verse 3. And then the man of sin is revealed. When will the Antichrist be revealed? when the first seal is broken. Alright, I spoke about that in the eight-part series at the start of the year, the time of the end. The son of perdition. And then the lawless one will be revealed. In verse 4, he goes on to say, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Ultimately, what does this person want to do? He wants to be worshipped. He wants to be like God. He sits as God in the temple of God. When does this happen? In the 7 years tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation. He will enter the temple, the temple, the third temple. Incidentally, I was just reading one one news clip. The current prime minister of Israel, Bennett, apparently he has announced, so I hear and what I read, he has announced that he, he will, within three years, the third temple should be up and running. We're talking about 2021, 22, 23, 24. By the end of 2024, all right, one of his plans is to have the entire third temple built. Alright, whether uh, it's going to come about, we'll see. He sits as God in the temple of God, showing Himself that He is God. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception. All who are living in the world at the point of time, they will be deceived. They will be deceived. And this is the fulfilment of Daniel chapter 11. He shall defile the sanctuary fortress. How? He will take away the daily sacrifice and place there the abomination of desolation. What exactly He's going to do, I do not know. But you can imagine, perhaps He's going to put a pig there or pigs there and spill pig's blood all over the tabernacle, defiling it, the abomination of desolation. He shall exalt and magnify Himself above every God and speak blasphemies against the God of God. He's not afraid because He is Controlled, manipulated by Satan. By then, giving his life to Satan, and you speak against every god you can name, every religion, every philosophy, every belief system. Why he should regard neither the god of his fathers nor the desire of woman. One of the things that biblical scholars conclude here: he has no desire for woman. He's a man, and what the conclusion is that he is a gay, and because the city of Jerusalem described in Revelation is. Sodom. It's Sodom and Egypt. He didn't use the word Jerusalem. Sodom typifies the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, where homosexuality runs rampant, and Egypt, which is a type of the world. He has no regard for any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. This is the mystery of lawlessness. Lawlessness now in this present age, they will increase in various forms. Specifically, we have been warned lies and deception is a major strategy of Satan. And it will climax in the coming of the Antichrist who will commit the abomination of desolation, putting himself as God. And given the last three and a half years, he will have free reign, free reign to do whatever he wants, only three and a half years. And at the end of the three and a half years, which is the half of the seven years, Jesus is going to come back in the second coming with the church and he's going to be utterly destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire. Which leads us to the seventh mystery, the rapture. The rapture. Why bother? The lawlessness will lead to the rapture. The mystery of lawlessness points us to how we should live in the present age. What is the present age of lawlessness? And as believers, as the church, what are we looking for? We're looking for the blessed hope. We are looking for the blessed hope, the rapture. And therefore, the word for the church is we must be rapture ready. We must be rapture ready. We cannot live our lives as it is. Alright, I'm going to elaborate that at the end. Okay? So, and then the tribulation and that's the second coming. Now, in 2 Thessalonians 2.7, he says that only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken away. Restraining lawlessness, restraining iniquity. Who is this he? This he is the Holy Spirit in the church, in the body of Christ. This He is the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer, you and I. <clears throat> every believer is a member of the body of Christ. So the body of Christ, the entire church will be raptured and the Holy Spirit in the believer is raptured along. All right, The church began at Pentecost, it will end at the rapture. We are restraining the world. How do we do that? Because the Holy Spirit in you and I, He is convicting the world of sin wrongdoing of righteousness and of judgment. And so what happened to this San Francisco gay man's choir? The righteous, all right, they are complaining and they're doing all they can. What on earth, what rubbish is it and so forth? Which is why YouTube took off that, 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 that piece of the video. He who restrains, because the church are believers, we are salt and light. In the old, time, old time, salt is used to preserve meat from decay. We are sought in our homes, in our schools, in society, in our nation to preserve the decay. Sin is rampant. We are to preserve. And we are light. For what? Light to shine in darkness. All the sins and a lot of things are done in darkness. We are ambassadors of God on this earth. Restraining evil, restraining wickedness, restraining unrighteousness and wrongdoing. And how else are we restraining? Prayer. is one of the ways we do. Prayer. Every day... At noon time every Wednesday, every the, uh, a lot of pastors and ministry workers gather for prayer on Zoom. It's been going on since um, um, uh, May, May, June, July, and it will continue all the way to the end of this year. Every day there is a local church standing in prayer for Singapore, and over and above that, we thank God for very smart, very intelligent uh, uh, civil servants, lawyers practitioners, housewives, parents who will write into the government, who will complain, we are the ones restraining evil. Only he who restrains will be taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit will live with the church. But because the Holy Spirit is God, He is omnipresent. He doesn't leave the world. There will will still be people who will come to the saving grace and knowledge of the Lord after the rapture and then into the tribulation when the 144,000 evangelists will go all over the world with signs and wonders, a great multitude will be saved. That is the great revival. That is the great harvest of souls. Followed by the two witnesses that God is going to send, probably Moses and Elijah with signs and wonders. And many will be saved. And followed by the angels who will be preaching the everlasting gospel until he is taken out of the way. This is the rapture of the church until the fullness of the Gentiles, when the last Gentile, whoever he or she is, receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour, whatever is this number of the fullness, only God knows. Then the rapture of the church will occur. The mystery of the rapture. Mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Paul says, Behold, I tell you, a mystery. It's a mystery. But for us, we know it's not a mystery. For us, it's the blessed hope. But for Israel, for Judaism, for a lot of angels and demons, they cannot figure this out. We shall all be changed. In, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. This last trumpet is not the trumpet judgments mentioned in Revelations. During the tribulation period, there are three sets of judgments the seal judgments. The trumpet judgments and the bow judgments. No, this last trumpet is different. This is particularly where the church will hear this. How do we know that? 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And firstly, the dead in Christ will rise first. My mother who died four or five years ago, she will rise first. So will all our believing friends... Who have died like our mission partner Temshang, all right, in, in uh in Northeast India, they will rise first. Then verse 17, 1 Thessalonians 4. Then we who are alive, assuming the rapture happens now, we who are alive, what will happen in a nanosecond? You know, I watch YouTube, sometimes I listen to messages and videos. I watch at the speed of two times, all right? Because one second, the normal one, one second is very long. One, two, three three. One second is actually very long when you, are, when you want to cut. So for a one hour video, when I watch it at two times the speed, I take half, it takes me half an hour and I, and I just read the subtitles. Here in the twinkling of an eye, you blink your eye, you're gone. Very fast. This body alright, we are alive, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. Where do we meet the Lord? In the air. Where does the Lord meet us? In the air. This is the rapture. The church is caught up. We meet the Lord with, with the Lord in the air. We go up to heaven, the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then after this 7 years tribulation period, then the church comes back with Christ and this time, the second time round, we will land on the earth. And specifically, we will land on the Mount of Olives as mentioned in the book of Zechariah. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. And what does it say here? Comfort one another. We comfort one another. We encourage one another with these words. We are not doomed. We are not exposed to the wrath of God. All right. So there are two very important principles. We need to be clear. Number one, the righteous are always delivered from the wrath of God. You and I, we are righteous because of the blood of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 To wait for His Son from heaven, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath of God. We are delivered from the wrath of God. And this is a very important principle here. We need to remember this will, will remove a lot of the arguments. We don't need to consider all the views. This is the view where the entire council of God, the entire Scripture, sits nicely. World of difference between trouble in general, because of the fallenness of men. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus already said, "You live in the world, there is trouble. Why? Because we live people with people who are corrupt." We live in a world where the systems are corrupt. We live with people who are fallen and the systems in the world are fallen. They are not perfect. There are even court systems where the judge is corrupt or the police are corrupt or politicians are corrupt. And especially when we've got friends and dealings with people in the third world. And therefore, because there is trouble in the world, the world hates the church. The world hates Christians. And when you are in that scenario, that will lead to persecution for our faith. And in certain places, martyrdom. Distinguish that from the wrath of God. The wrath of God was very clearly shown in the great flood of Noah. And it will be specifically unleashed during the seven years of tribulation against a very unbelieving God-hating world during the seven years, the wrath of God. So the difference between trouble and the wrath of God. This is something you and I must be very clear in our mind. If God loves us and saves for us, if we know John 3.16, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it doesn't make sense for Him to unleash His wrath upon us. That is the wrath of God. When does God's wrath begins in the tribulation? It begins with the sealed judgments. And God's wrath will end with the bold judgments. We know that from Revelations 15 verse 1. The seven angels having the seven last plagues and after the last plague, the wrath of God is finished. The wrath of God is complete. A few scriptures now to refresh our memory. They're all in your notes, all right? Isaiah 13 talks about the tribulation years. The day of the Lord is destruction from God. God is the direct source of this destruction. Every man's heart will melt, pangs and sorrows will lay hold of them. The day of the Lord will come cruel. You will be very cruel with wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and you will destroy sinners from it. Verse 11 of Isaiah thirty: I will punish the world for its evil, the proud, the haughtiness. I will shake the heavens in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and the, in the day of His fierce anger. However, there is a principle in Scriptures. God always delivers the righteous from His wrath. Because God's wrath is always on the unrighteous. God's wrath is always on those who hate God and who reject God. And those who hate God and those who reject God, they are suffering the consequences of their own choice. Some are scriptures. The Bible always says on the testimony of two or three witnesses, two or three scriptures, a principle is established. And here you have more than two or three. The example of Enoch the Lord raptured Enoch in Genesis 5. And Enoch is a type of the church prior to the, to the rapture, uh, prior to the tribulation. And later on, he, God rescued Noah and his family. Noah and his family is a type of Israel, the remnant Israel that will go through the tribulation. Genesis 6-8. Noah and his family went through the flood in the ark. Alright, the remnant Jews and the believing Gentiles in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Alright, I preach about this in the series of time of the end at the start of the year. Sodom and Gomorrah. God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But God revealed to Abraham. And Abraham says, Lord, if there's 50 righteous people will you see destroy? God says, I will not. 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, 20, and down to 10. God says, I will not destroy and in the end, there was only righteous Lord. Then we have the story of Israel at the Red Sea. God's wrath was unleashed upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh and his enemies. The Red Sea was parted for Israel. They were safe. Then later on, the Red Sea, the waters came back down to bury and kill the Egyptian soldiers, the Egyptian army. 1 Thessalonians 5:9. God did not appoint us to wrath. Here the word wrath is talking about the wrath of God. Romans 5.9, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And if here Paul was having in mind what John wrote in John 3.36, which we will read in a moment. 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of trouble, out of temptation, out of tribulation, and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, He delivers us from the wrath to come. And this is prophesied for the Jews, or the remnant Jews in the Old Testament, in Zephaniah 2 verse 3. He says, God, you'll be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. This is in Revelation 12. The remnant running to a place called Petra. And the devil who has been dislodged from the second heavens, he's now down on earth, he caused the great flood to drown the remnant Jews, but he failed. God caused the earth to swallow up the flood All right, in Revelation 12. The, all this is in the message of the time of the end. Revelation 3.10, the message to the church. God will keep you from the hour of trial, which is going to come upon the whole world. It's going to come upon the whole world. The, word, the Greek word here, keep you from, from, is the church taken out of the tribulation. We will not even go through the tribulation. Isaiah 26, verse 20 to 21. God says, come, my people, enter your chambers. Shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past." This is the last three and a half years of the tribulation. God provided a place for them where God will feed them with food and water. The last three and a half years in Petra, they are taken to the chambers, shut the doors behind them until the wrath of God in the last three and a half years of the seven year tribulation. Who are the righteous? We know today, this is very obvious. They're all who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Where we have the righteousness of God, where God looks at us, He looks at us as if we have not sinned because we are forgiven. We are cleansed and we are covered by the blood of Jesus. And then we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are justified in the eyes of God. This verse, we know John three sixteen, The last verse of John chapter 3. He who believes in Jesus has everlasting life. He who does not believe Jesus shall not see life. What happens? But the wrath of God abides in Him. We have been warned. The world has been won. The church has been won. And this word is very clear. John 14, verse 1 to 3, a scripture we use often during funerals, during funeral weeks. Let not your heart be troubled. We are living in perilous times, troubled in the world. The Lord says, comfort one another. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And if I go up to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Jesus will receive us unto Himself. And then thereafter, we will be with Him forever. Forever. That is His promise. How we will be with Him? He will give us a new, raptured, immortal, incorruptible, glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this as a mystery. In a moment, we will be raised incorruptible, we will raise immortal. We will receive this glorious body, which Paul talks about in Philippians 1 verse 20. The body where Jesus, after He was uh, he ascended to the Father, He came back in the glorified body for 40 days. He appeared in the upper room. The body can go through wall. The body can eat and enjoy all the delicacies, all your great fruit. We will also share in the same glorified body. Therefore, what is happening now? Any time now, the rapture can happen. One year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, we are talking about years. There is a time gap after the rapture. Some point after the rapture of the church, I submit to you, the world is going to go into a, into a chaos. Where are all these Christians? What happened to all these people? in the government, in the church, in society. A lot of them are going to disappear at the rapture. And then the Antichrist will be revealed. He will make a treaty and confirm this treaty with Israel. And at that point of time, the Israeli Defence Force will be very powerful. Remember, Israel is also a nuclear power. How Psalms 83 and the wars will unfold, I do not know, but Israel will be very powerful. So powerful that this person on behalf of the nations, confirm this treaty, what we now know currently as the Abrahamic Accords, where Israel have this peace accord with the Arab nations. They are confirmed. And when that is confirmed, it begins the seven years of tribulation. That which is spoken of uh, in the the series on the time of the end. And two things will happen to the church during these seven years in heaven. The first three and a half years, roughly, every believer will have to give an account of how we live our lives on this earth. Every believer, myself included, yourself included, is the judgment seat of Christ. And after that is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when that's all concluded, the church will return with Christ at the second coming at the battle of Armageddon. The battle will be fought. Satan is going to be caught by an angel thrown into the bottomless pit. There's a gap of time, right. Scholars say it may be 50 days or 75 days, right. They're still talking about that. And then ushers in the millennial kingdom where we will reign and rule with Christ in the 1,000 years millennial kingdom. And after that, at the end, there's a little battle which will be over within an hour called the Battle of Gog and Magog. And then the Great White Throne Judgment. Whoever's names are not in the book of life, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. And that will be the end of space, earth, and the end of time. And that will be the end of all that we know currently. And that will be the beginning of eternity. What is the bottom line? We are told to look for the blessed hope. What should we do? Why bother about this whole thing? Paul mentioned these three things very clearly. Number one, he says we need to live soberly. Because we are in the present age of lawlessness. And lawlessness has the idea of being drunk, all right, of doing things... Anyhow how, of the idea of being wild. We are told to be sober. That means get our thinking straight. Be vigilant. There is a pothole. Don't step into the pothole. There's a landmine. Don't get explode, be your, your body torn. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, therefore, be clear-minded, be sober to pray. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be careful, be sober because the devil is going around seeking whom he may devour. The devil is looking for ground. The devil is looking for doorways that you open to him in your life. One-third to, to 40% or 45 or 50% of Christians have disconnected from the local church in this whole COVID season. Covid season is now coming to one and a half years. And I suspect more of this one-third to 40-50% have also probably disconnected from God in some way or measure. The Bible says be careful, be sober. That we keep on growing. 2 Peter 3.18, we keep, must keep on growing in the grace and the experience of God, in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We need to live soberly. This is a serious message. We have been warned. Secondly, we need to live righteously. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. There are three things about righteousness. Number one is right standing. We must have the confidence and the bonus. We have been warned. We have been encouraging you from the pulpit. And there will come a time, maybe there will be no more encouragement. Can you stand on your own? Right standing, right believing. Can you keep on believing right? Because of all the influx and all the false things that come through the internet. And finally, right living. Romans 1.17 says that the glory of God, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. God wants us to grow from one level of faith to another measure of faith. God wants us to manifest one level of righteousness to another level of righteousness. This is the power of the gospel, which Paul says is not a shame. And finally, why does it matter to live righteously? Because James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God hears all kinds of prayers, but He doesn't rep- respond to every kind of prayer. Only the prayer of a righteous person. A righteous person who is, has right standing with God, who calls on the name of Jesus, who is covered by the blood of Jesus, someone who has right believing, praying according to the Word of God, the promises of God, the covenant of God, and right living. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And thirdly, we are told to live godly. To live godly means that we factor God in our lives. In our responses, in our decision-making, in our behaviour, God is always a factor, always under consideration. So one example is 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. God is telling the church, He's telling every believer, Godliness with contentment because there's all these things about the love of money, the love of power, the love of possessions, the love of getting this and getting that, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And 2 Timothy 3.5 reminds us, pursue godliness. We must be rapture ready, looking for the blessed hope. I attended a funeral week just this past five, six days ago. A young man, 37 years old. One moment we were told to pray for him. He suffered a heart attack. Next moment, we know within one or two hours, he died. Healthy young man, fit. That's about less than two months ago, one of our mission partners in northeast India, Tamshang. He succumbed to COVID-19. He's been battling COVID for the last two, three months. Went to hospital, put on a respirator, couldn't breathe. They cut, uh, they did a trachea, that means they they cut a hole into his throat to pump him the air. He succumbed to that, he died. Earlier on, last year already, we heard in this mega church in Indonesia, five pastors died. And we get this continuous appeal from the church in Nepal. Many have died. Life is short. And there's this brother that I know who lives in Lebanon. In Lebanon today, that's where you heard the, 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 uh, the infamous port explosion, right? And many have died. In Lebanon today, the Lebanese pound is a fraction, a few percent of what the value was previously. It's almost worthless. It's like during the Japanese occupation, banana money. There's a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of go, going on. I met various groups for meals, for a walk and so forth. And we're just talking about a lot, a lot of things in life. This believer is dead, That believer is dead. Offenses here, offenses there. We have been warned. Church, we have been warned from the pulpit. We've been warned from the Word of God. And maybe, let's factor this, there may not be another time when somebody will encourage you in your faith or somebody will warn you. Because you have been warned. Not once, twice, three. You have not been encouraged once, twice, three times. Many, many times. And for the believer who keeps on not being sober. Sober is where to pay attention. If we are not being sober, if we are lawless in our thinking, that will affect our belief system. That will be reflected in how we decide and respond. All this will be brought up at the judgment seat of Christ. Are you rapture ready.